Hi there, and welcome to the media ministry of River Bible Church. I'm Pastor Dustin Daniels, inviting you to visit our website to download today's sermon notes. You can sign up for our newsletter and also submit a prayer request. We would love to pray for you and answer any questions that you may have. For more information, visit riverbible.org. Now let's open up the Word of God together for today's message. Well, we are in Matthew chapter 7 today. If you would, please turn your Bibles there. We're looking at two verses, verses 13 and 14. If you're new with us, welcome to River Bible Church. My name is Dustin Daniels. I'm the pastor teacher here. And if you don't have a Bible, please feel free to, to stand up, grab one. We have them in the back there. That's our gift to you this morning. And as you turn to Matthew chapter 7, let me review I tell you what, we have spent the last nine and a half months listening to Jesus preach the Sermon on the Mount so far. Amen. The Sermon on the Mount, it began in, in Matthew chapter 5. Um, and last week we saw Jesus begin his conclusion to this sermon by, by teaching how that we're supposed to ask and seek and knock. A couple key points from last week. We learn that asking plus action equals seeking. So we're all very, very good at asking, aren't we? But Jesus told us there's got to be an action to that as well. We, we got to do our part. God is not going to do what is our responsibility. Now, please don't think this is like that phrase that we hear, um, you know, God helps those who help, them, help themselves. That's not what we're talking about here, uh, especially when it comes to salvation. Key point number two from last week, we learned that asking plus action plus persevering equals knocking. So we, we studied this ask, seek, and, and knock passage. We learned that we're not supposed to ask for stuff. I mean, we, we can ask for stuff, that's fine, but we don't want to take that passage out of context. We are to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And then all of these things will be added unto us. We are to ask, seek, and knock for more of God. God is to increase in our lives. We are to decrease. So a paraphrase of last week's text in Matthew 7, 7 would be this. Uh, continue asking for God, and he will be given to you. Continue seeking for God, and you will find him. Continue knocking for God, and he will open the door. In the original language, the, the Greek, uh, this verse is amazing because it's called the divine passive. And what that means is continue asking, and God will give you what he deems is best. And then we close last week by reading really a perfect example of how God answers prayer when we come to him in humility we looked at King Solomon. King Solomon, he, he asked for humility. He asked for a godly judgment to rule the nation. His first response was not to ask for stuff. And uh, God not only answered his prayer, but also gave Solomon things he didn't ask for. All that stuff, right? Wealth and fame. So a perfect example of, of how to ask for the kingdom of God or seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. 
Well, as Jesus begins to close his sermon today, we're going to see Jesus ask for a decision from us. Jesus has been giving God's standards throughout his sermon, all the way through the Sermon on the Mount. God's standards, as we have learned, they are holy. They are perfect. They are impossible for anyone to achieve. His standards completely level our pride and our self-sufficiency. Jesus has taught us what his kingdom is like and how his people are to act. So for the rest of of Matthew chapter 7 here, the, the Lord focuses on the inevitable decision that everyone must make. So contrary to what the world thinks, there are only two religions. There are only two religions. The first is of divine accomplishment. The gospel reveals that every person is a sinner and desperately needs Jesus as their Savior. So the gospel is a religion of grace. If a person doesn't choose Jesus as their Savior, then we have a second religion. And that is called human achievement. So we have divine accomplishment, what God has already done, or or human achievement. Human achievement is exactly how it sounds, right? It's a salvation of human works or good deeds, trying to prove to God that we are worthy enough to be our own Savior. We don't need this Jesus stuff. One is a religion of faith, and one is a religion of the flesh. And from the beginning of time, really, man saw that God's perfect standard was not only difficult, but it was impossible to achieve. So what's man to do? Yeah, let's take the easy way out, right? We're going to disregard God and all of his laws, and we're going to create our own standard of morality, standards that make accommodations for our sins. So the religion of human achievement, it is achievable by mankind. And by achieving and really excelling at this man-made and this sin-stained standard, man considers himself righteous before God. So Jesus addresses this lowering of the bar here. And really, he's done that throughout the Sermon on the Mount. As Jesus concludes, he reveals the consequences of our actions by providing several illustrations that get our attention here. Each illustration comes with a decision that every person will have to make. For example, Jesus illustrates two gates or two roads today. The narrow and the wide. You get to choose which one to enter. These two gates, these two roads, they lead to two destinations. One that leads to eternal life and one that leads to eternal death. Jesus goes on to illustrate two kinds of trees that produce two kinds of fruit. There are also two kinds of people who profess faith in Jesus Christ. One person is sincere, the other is a fake. And then lastly, Jesus shows how there are two kinds of builders. These two kinds of builders, they use two different types of foundations. One uses rock and one uses sand. And as we spend the next several weeks here with Jesus' conclusion, we're going we're gonna to hear really a certain underlying theme. Essentially, Jesus is asking this question. All right, guys, you've heard my sermon. 
Now, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? In other words, it's decision time. Jesus demands a verdict here. His sermon and his conclusion are not words to ignore this morning. It is a matter of life. It is a matter of death. It's been said that the Sermon on the Mount is not a sermonette for Christianettes. And yet, out of God's grace, it's not only one decision that we must make, but many. So what's the decision for you today? Well, let's find out. If you would, please stand now for the reading and the, inter- and the honoring of God's Word. All right, we're going to start here in verse 13, and we're going to read the 23 to get the full context of this verse. If you would, please follow along with me. The words will be on the screen. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. Inwardly, they are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit. Neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, so you'll recognize them by their fruit. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, Didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? And then I will announce to you, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Dear friends, these are the words from the authoritative, the inerrant, the inspired, the infallible word of Almighty God. Please pray with me. Father, the psalmist writes... Open the gates of righteousness for me, and I will enter through them, and I'll give thanks to the Lord. And this is the Lord's gate. The the righteous will enter through it, and I will give thanks to you because you have answered me and have become my salvation. So, Father, we are so humbled and grateful that you would even offer us a gate to walk through. Lord, we want to walk through the Lord's gate this morning, and we want to praise you for the salvation that is offered through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a seat, guys. Thank you. All right, let's take a look here at verse 13. Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. So let's start off with a question this morning. 
do we go through the gate to get onto the road? Or are we walking along the road and then passing through the gate? Is the gate conversion or is it heaven? So let's not overthink it like I like to do, right? (laughs) Jesus teaches the gate and the road are alike. The gate and the road are two illustrations of the same thing. So in other words here, there are only two ways to eternal life. Whether it's a gate to be entered or a road to be traveled. The important thing is that you have to make the decision. Or better yet, really, it's a series of decisions to reach your final destination. Jesus' point here, by offering two choices, this is not new. We see this all through the Old Testament. Let me give you a couple examples here. It's the same choice that Moses preached before he died. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. He says, Today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses, And now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice that you make. Oh, oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. It's the same choice that Joshua preached while entering the promised land. Speaking to the Israelites, Josh says this. He says, if you refuse to serve the Lord, well, then choose today whom you will serve. But as for me and my family, we... We're going to serve the Lord. This choice is offered in the very first psalm. Psalm 1 is called the gateway psalm. It's decision time. Psalm 1-1, the psalmist writes, Oh, the joys, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked. Or they stand around with all the sinners or they join in with mockers. Verse 2 Ah, but they delight. They delight in the law of the Lord. See the choice there? And then they meditate on God's word day and night. This is the same message that the prophet Elijah challenged King Ahab with. uh, The big showdown between him and the prophets of Baal. 1 Kings 18.21, Elijah approached all the people and he said, Hey guys, how long are you you going to waver between two opinions? Right? If the Lord is God, we'll follow him. But if this, if this other thing that you guys call Baal, if he is God, we'll follow him. It's the same choice that, that the other Old Testament prophets preached as well. Jeremiah said this, tell all the people, this is what the Lord says, take your choice of life or death. So in other words, we make a thousand little choices every day that lead up, right, to the big choice that is the most important decision we'll ever make. So Jesus says this, back to our gospel text now, he says, enter through the narrow gate, When Jesus says enter, it's not a suggestion. This is a command. Jesus demands a specific action. So we're not to look at the gate. We're not to admire the gate. We're supposed to walk through the gate. 
In other words, Jesus is referring to all the people who admire the principles of the Sermon on the Mount. They've listened to what Jesus had to say, but that they're not going to apply any of them to their lives. These people applaud, they praise, they even respect Jesus, but they're not going to they're not going to apply these things. They refuse to believe. And since they refuse to believe what he said, they're not going to allow God to transform them either. He says, enter through the narrow gate. Narrow gate. So the picture here is um, you have to walk through this gate alone. The person that walks through this gate brings nothing with him. Think of this gate as a turnstile. If you've ever been through a subway or some type of amusement park, right, you got to get in line and that really narrow turnstile. Turnstile only allows one person to pass through one at a time. You can't bring other people with you. A big, big old crowd can't come through the turnstile all at one time. So the narrow gate, it points to the fact that you are responsible for your own choices before a holy God. You also can't bring all your stuff with you through this gate. Your worldly stuff, your, your baggage won't fit through this narrow turnstile. King Solomon says this in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. He says, we all come to the end of our lives as naked and empty-handed as on the day that we were born. We can't take our riches with us. So God is the creator. We are his creation, right? God is the one who is self-sufficient. We are reliant on, on God for our next breath. We didn't choose the day of our birth, and we're not choosing the day of our death. Jesus continues here in verse 13. He says, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. So Jesus describes the second gate here. It's the second option. He, he commands no one to go through this gate because many are happy to, to choose it without any prompting whatsoever. Jesus describes this gate as wide. In other words, it's easy. The, the wide gate, the broad gate, it's so attractive. It's so glamorous at first, isn't it? You can bring all your friends and all your baggage. You can even bring all your accessories, ladies. Why? Because it's, it's inclusive. It's indulgent. Think of Las Vegas Boulevard. It's, it's the gate that leads to self-indulgence. There are few rules, few restrictions, and few requirements. I mean, after all, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, baby. Right? No, everybody do this. No. You bring all that back home. The wide road is where sin is not only tolerated, but it's encouraged. To stay on this wide road, all you have to do, guys, is just follow your inclinations, your likings, and all of your base desires. There is absolutely no effort to ever change your way of thinking. You don't have to change your lifestyle. There are no boundaries for the wide road. Your personal views and, and opinions don't make any difference whatsoever. 
If you believe that all roads lead to heaven, if you marry somebody of the same sex, if your pronouns are they and them, if you believe that as a biological man, you're a little girl trapped in a man's body, well, no worries because the wide road is for you. You're going to be celebrated for being you. You be you. The wide road is where truth is invented. Humility is mocked. The theme song to the wide road is, I did it my way. (laughs) And no, I'm not going to sing that one either. (laughs) The wide road is a life of taking and taking and taking. It's a a road of demanding from others that I'm going to live my best life right now. It's a life of ease, and there is no sacrifice whatsoever. And most importantly, it's a road to where no one will ever tell you that what you're thinking, what you're doing, or how you're living is wrong. Jesus continues here. He says, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction. But Jesus says that what you are thinking And what you are doing and how you're living is wrong. Because the lifestyle is an end in itself. The road is all there is. Until it isn't. There's a reason that the world loves the song, Highway to Hell. Eventually, the the, the wide road comes to the edge of the abyss. And then it just stops. The problem, though, is that you don't. The traveler keeps going. So the apostle uh, Paul, he warns the Colossians here. He says, so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality and impurity. All sorts of lust and evil desires. Don't be greedy. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. And because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. Today in our culture, many of us become offended when when we mention God's anger or his wrath or his justice. And one of the biggest lies a Christian can believe is that God is, is, is only a God of love. I mean, if, if we think we only need love, guys, we're believing a lie that's sold by the world. A God who is only love, is, that's not a God at all. That is a God who, who you've created in your own mind. It's an idol. And that idol needs to be confessed as sin. Why is that? We're going to see that here in a moment. Jesus continues. He says, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction. Destruction. It's this idea that that refers to total ruin, total loss. The, The picture here is that your life is so far gone that it cannot be repaired because there has been so much destruction that it no longer even exists. 
Jesus is referring to a very real place called hell. Matthew 10, 28, he says, Don't fear those who kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Hebrews 10, 31, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. See, the Bible speaks of the reality of hell in the same terms as the reality of heaven. We see this comparison at the end of Revelation, chapter 20 and then and 21. Uh, let me show this to you. The, the Apostle John, he first describes hell. Starting in verse 11. He says, I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. So that's Jesus. The earth and the sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. And then I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. And the sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave gave up their dead. And all were judged according to their deeds. Then the death and the grave, they were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. The lake of fire is that very real place called hell. Verse 15, anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. The very next verse, the Apostle John now talks about heaven. He says, then, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. And the sea was, was also gone. And then I, I saw the holy city, this new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven like a bride. Beautifully dressed for her husband. That's just one, one of many examples of the reality of hell that's found in Scripture. Jesus actually spends more time in the Gospels warning people about the dangers of hell than he does comforting people about the hope of heaven. In fact, as Jesus closes his sermon here, he, he mentions hell four separate times. Trying to separate heaven from hell or just ignoring hell altogether, that is not possible from a biblical standpoint. One of the many problems that we have with, with understanding hell is that it, it, it comes from the world, right? Their opinion of hell is a joke. Hell is pictured as a dungeon full of demons with pitchforks or some thriving underground city filled with ghosts and goblins and everybody's just having this huge Halloween party. Dear friends, please know those versions of hell do not exist. So what does the Bible actually say about hell? Well, not much. Jesus talks about hell a lot. However, he doesn't give many particulars. Here's what we know from Scripture. We know that hell was originally intended for demonic spiritual beings or demons, not people. Matthew 25 we know that the experience of being in hell is compared to burning. 
There's always a fire, always raging. Mark chapter 9, Matthew 18, Luke 16. At the same time, it's compared to darkness. Matthew 22, it's also associated with intense grief. Matthew chapter 8, and also horror. Mark chapter 9. So in other words, the Bible tells us only what hell is like. It doesn't give any details about what hell is or how it really functions. So evidently, we don't need to know those things because those, those things are too awful for us to comprehend. However, the Bible does clarify that hell is real, it is eternal, and it is to be avoided at all costs. Regardless of this warning, Jesus goes on to say in verse 13, there are many who go through it. There are many who go through this wide gate. Many, a great number, huge multitude, a large number of people choose this gate. So in short, most people are choosing hell. Key point number one for us today, every person decides for himself which gate to walk through. Every person decides for himself which gate to walk through. This is an unavoidable decision. God offers eternal life or eternal death. Now, many of us hear this message this morning. We go, okay, I'm choosing life. Sign me up. Jesus says, not so fast. Not so fast. You need to consider some things here before you choose this narrow gate. Verse 14, he continues, he says, how narrow is this gate and how difficult the road that leads to life and few find it. That word narrow is stenos in the Greek. We get our word stenography from it. Stenography, it's you know, when you abbreviate, your writing is compressed. It, it literally means to groan. How narrow is the gate? You're going to have to groan to walk through this gate. So narrow, it's not only restrictive, and it's not only limiting, but it's also constrictive. Because the more that you walk, the narrower the path gets. The road becomes much more difficult. If you're a disciple of Jesus this morning, has anybody ever called you narrow-minded? <laughs> it's true. If you're a Christian, you're narrow-minded. Hey, don't apologize for that. They just gave you a compliment. <laughs> the narrow road is exclusive. And it's, it's important to understand that. Following the narrow road, it, it means that you're different. It means that you're an insider. The world are a bunch of outsiders. Guys, this is not your home. You're simply traveling through. And because you're traveling through, not only does this mean that you're going to leave the world behind, it means that you also leave the world's ways behind. And because it's so difficult to leave everything that we've ever known, it's so difficult to leave everything that we can see. We're earthy people, aren't we? We're earthly. We like to live by sight, not by faith. Jesus says, if you find it, because we like our stuff, 
and we like to trust in, in what we can do because we're so, we believe, so self-sufficient on our own end. Jesus says, few find it, this narrow gate. Jesus brings up an interesting theological point here. He says, few. In other words, not many. Worldly numbers do not prove what is right or wrong. The majority opinion here makes no difference to the kingdom of God. Jesus doesn't need the latest Gallup poll. Right? God's not running for God. So Jesus says, few find it. Few people choose this narrow gate. Few people actually pass through this narrow turnstile. And even fewer walk this narrow road. We see many examples in Scripture here. Let me give you two. After approximately 1,600 years or so, um, after the creation of Adam and Eve in Genesis 1, the earth's population exploded in number. At the same time, it also exploded with evil. So God decided to do something about that evil. And in Genesis 7, 11, we pick up the story here. When Noah was around 600 years old, all the underground waters, they erupted from the earth. And the rain fell in mighty torrents from the sky. The rain continued to fall for 40 days and 40 nights. And that very day, look at this. We got Noah. Noah got on, on the boat with his wife. So that's two. His sons. Shem, Ham, and Japheth, that's five, and their wives, that's three. We got eight people on the boat. That's only eight people who survived God's wrath on human sin. Now, if we back up for a second, we learn in Genesis 6-3 that it took Noah 120 years to build this boat. 120 years. And while he was building, people would come along and they go, hey, Noah, what are you doing? I'm building an ark. What's an ark? It's a boat. What's a boat? It's going to be for the flood. What's a flood? And, and, and so pe people had questions, right? So, so Noah was a preacher. 2 Peter 2.5, he was a preacher of righteousness. He preached this message of the gospel. He preached the message of the two gates. And yet... Out of the estimated now 750 million to 4 billion people living on the earth at that time, the only ones who were saved were Noah's family. Now that population, by the way, was probably closer to 4 billion people because people lived so long during that time. Regardless, Noah and his family chose the narrow gate. Everybody else chose the wide we see the same thing here with Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham is having this conversation with the Lord God. The Lord God is the, the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. Abraham is begging him, begging Jesus not to destroy Sodom. And this conversation, it really it turns into a negotiating process uh, for saving the city. Abraham says, look, if there's 50 people in the city, you're not going to destroy it. And God says, no, I won't destroy it if there's 50. And, and Abraham negotiates with the Lord down to 10 people. We fast forward a little bit. We pick up the story in Genesis 19, 12. 
The angels questioned Lot. So Lot is, is uh, Abraham's nephew. Do you have any other relatives here in the city? Get them out of this place, your sons-in-laws, your sons, your daughters, anyone else. For we are about to destroy this city completely. So evidently, there's not 10 people in the city. The outcry against this place is so great, it has reached the Lord, and he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot rushed to tell his daughter's fiancés, quick, get out of the city. The Lord is about to destroy it. But the young men, they thought he was only joking. At dawn the next morning, the angels became insistent. Hurry, they said. Take your wife. So look at this. Take your wife and your two dollars, two, three, plus lot, and get out of here. Get out right now or you're going to be swept away in the destruction of the city. And when Lot still hesitated, the angels seized his hand in the hands of his wife and his two daughters and rushed them to safety outside the city. Why? Because the Lord's merciful. So that's only four people who survived Sodom and Gomorrah. Eh, kind of, sort of, right? Actually, three. Lot's wife didn't make it. She chose the wide gate. She was, see how close she was? Wow. So Lot and his three daughters chose the narrow gate, along with some supernatural arm twisting there. I guess that's a, another sermon for another day. Everybody else chose the wide gate. So the, the fact that everybody does it, the fact that everybody thinks a certain way is no proof that they are moral, sober, righteous people. Quite the contrary is true throughout all Scripture. God's people have always been a remnant. They've always been a small amount of, of, of people, a minority in the world. In fact, Jesus provides two examples of this. In the Gospel of Luke, he says, Don't be afraid, little flock. He calls his disciples a little flock, for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Uh, the Greek term for little there is mikros. We, we get our word micro from it. The second example comes when, when Jesus was teaching the parable of the great feast. He ends the parable with this, Matthew twenty two fourteen. He says, for many are called, but few are chosen. So the reason, it's not difficult to discover, which points us back to today's text, right? The narrow road is lonely, it is costly, and it is temporarily painful. It's temporarily painful. So Jesus says there are only two roads, two gates, one that leads to destruction and one leads to heaven. One leads to life. We have a choice, eternal life or eternal death. There is no middle ground. You will never go through the narrow gate by accident. Entering the narrow gate, that is a deliberate, conscious decision. Now, the great thing about God's grace is that that wide road, it seems to have many off-ramps. Because every single one of us has story after story after story of traveling down the wide road, don't we? 
By God's grace, he allowed us to do what we wanted. By God's grace, he allowed us to engage in the sin that we love so much. God is so gracious, right? He basically says, you want money? I'll give you money. You want power? I'll give you power. Man, you want sex and drugs and rock and roll and pornography? I'll give you all of that. I'll give, I'll give you so much sin, you're going to throw up on it. That's the wide road. And we all have that story, don't we? It's amazing. God doesn't make you do anything that you don't want to do. But please know that there are consequences ahead of time. So today is a day of decision for those of you who are traveling down that wide road. You're not here by accident this morning. Guys, this is a divine appointment. We like to say this is a divine disruption to your life around here. I have a pastor friend. His church is in Texas. And he likes to tell this story. One cold January morning, there was a, a narrow bridge that kind of came down around a canyon, and uh, there was a bunch of black ice on the road. Nobody could see the ice. And all of a sudden, there was a, a, a pileup during, uh, that came to this narrow bridge. And there were about a dozen cars or so involved in the crash, and, and somebody in the, in the crash got out of their car, and he runs a mile back up the street, and he's waving at people as they're, they're speeding by, and he's saying, stop, slow down. What do people do when they drive past? Well, they, they honk at him. They, they give him... Uh, some body language. <laughs> How dare you tell me to slow down? You can't tell me what to do. What's wrong with that guy? And this guy, is he's, he, with his life, he is trying to slow people down. By the time it was all said and done, only a few people slowed down. And that pileup became huge. So please know this, if, if you do not choose to repent of your sin this morning, if you refuse to believe that Jesus is Lord and Savior, if you choose not to exit the wide road, please know where your final destination lands. And please know that as you are in eternal hell, you will consciously remember this conversation. You will have no one to blame but yourself. Key point number two, the man who does not consider his final destination is a fool. The man who does not consider his final destination is a fool. For those of you traveling the narrow road today, it is time to praise God for it. It's a time to thank Him for saving your wretched soul and giving you eternal life and not eternal death. It's a time to praise God for your sufferings. Because why? Because your sufferings are only temporary. 
It's a time to praise God, to worship God. Because it's through the sufferings to where he teaches us something new about himself. Otherwise, you wouldn't know. He draws us close through the pain in our life. The physical pain, the relational pain, the financial pain. And finally, please know this. that The narrow gate here is more of a who than it is a what. Key point number three. That narrow gate, it's Jesus. That narrow gate is a person. It's Jesus. Jesus himself said this in John 10, 9. He says, I am the gate, and those who come in through me will be saved. Jesus is a person. He is not a set of rules. This whole thing is based on a relationship, guys. So, Father in heaven, we can't thank you enough for showing us your truth. Thank you for wrapping your truth up in grace. We want to thank you that you even give us the opportunity for the narrow gate. That you have chosen since the beginning of, of time, since Genesis chapter 3, that you would make all things right. God, that you would step down off your throne in heaven and become your own creation, born of a virgin, live a perfect life and die a substitutionary death. Three days later, you have the audacity to walk out of that grave proving that death has no power over you and that you extend this grace now to us. Father, it is decision time for all of us. It's a time to look into the rearview mirror of our life and see where we, at, where we are with you. Whether we're, tr we're traveling on the wide road or, or maybe, just, just maybe we're on the narrow road, but we're confused and we're hurting and, and we need some help and we need some guidance. Lord, we want to praise you that you have cast our sin as far as the east is from the west and your presence is always with us. So, Father, as we leave here today, as we begin our prayer time, as we fellowship with one another, as we go to lunch, as we go back to work, I pray, Lord God, that you would give us the opportunity to share this message with somebody who has no hope for tomorrow, who does not understand the gospel, and that you would use this little church on the hill to give them the hope that you shared with us today. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.